Amen. Thanks, Mary. Thank you so much, Beth, as well. Great to have you up here with us. Really good. Good to see everyone. Beth, I'm going to pinch your... um, Do you mind if I pinch this? Thanks. Just stick that there. Okay. Great to see folks. Um, Little... um, little strip back. I know lots of people are away for various reasons. It's sort of holiday, holiday season now, <laughs> which is absolutely fine. But we're here, we're going to keep going, and we're going to keep encouraging one another and um, blessing each other uh, through the mornings, through the Sundays, through the summer. So that is a good thing. We are finishing off concluding um, this week and next a series on peacemakers. Um, It's been a burden of mine, and I hope you share that burden that as followers of the Lord Jesus, we're makers of peace. And we want to be peacemaking. And then we thought about, well, you know, how do we go about doing that? And we talked about glorifying God in peace, glorifying God when conflict happens. So when things go wrong, and it's it's not easy because someone's upset me, they've insulted me, they're being difficult, whatever. We can bat that away and think, that shouldn't be happening in my family, that shouldn't be happening in my workplace, that shouldn't be happening in my church. Or we can go, Lord, here is an opportunity for me to glorify you and make peace here. That was the first one. Then we looked at that and we said, right, step one, self-examination. We heard those words of Jesus when he said, get the log out of your own eye. And we thought, first step is to self-examine. Look at ourselves. What am I contributing to this problem? What's my mistake here? What am I doing that's not helpful? And we're going to linger there and think, can I? Let me just pause. Maybe I need someone to help me see it. What am I doing here that's making this situation in front of me? And then we said, so that was get the log out of your own eye. Then we said gently restore. That was step two. Maybe someone's caught in sin. They can't see what they're doing. And we said it's a loving thing to do, a very Christian thing to do, to draw alongside and restore them, help them see what's going on, what's destructive and damaging about um, what they've done or what they're doing. And then last week we did go and be reconciled. And I just got going with this idea of forgiveness. It's so central to our Christian faith, so central to our life together as Christian believers. Forgiveness. And we said, didn't we, it's not easy. (laughs) Forgiveness, not easy. Very costly thing, but it's not optional. We are, it is a demand of the Lord Jesus Christ for his followers that we forgive. It's not an option. And therefore we talked about the freely given grace of the cross, which is an endless resource and supply for us to forgive as we've so freely been forgiven. And now... Here, today, I just want to flesh it out with a few really practical bits. So that's the job. And then we're going to go into a Q&A. 
So I'm just going to say a very few things. It's going to be short this morning, and then we'll have the opportunity for questions, not really because I want to say, look, I'm an expert and you guys can ask me all the questions, more to say, I've kind of said a lot of things, and you have a right to reply, <laughs> because I've made a lot of quite big statements, and I don't want to be six foot or a foot and a half above contradiction here. You're allowed to ask questions, and I think it'd be a good thing if you think, well, do you know, you said that thing a few weeks ago, and it's just been niggling away. I want to ask this question. So we'll create an opportunity. June's going to help me out. We'll just fire all the questions at June. Linda's going to help me out as well. Uh, we'll have some Q&A. So be thinking of your questions here and at home. You can post your comments, uh, your, que your questions in the comments when we do that in a moment. But before we get there, just a few words about forgiveness, a few more practical things about forgiveness. And to do it, I'm just, I am going to read some Bible. Uh, don't worry. I'm going to read you, and you can put the very last verse, there it is, at the end of Jeremiah. I'll just give you the verses preceding this one. Uh, but this is where we want to land. Okay, so this is the prophet Jeremiah. And he's predicting what's to come for the people of God many hundreds of years before Jesus. And he says this, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Because they broke my covenant though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbour or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For... I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Now I'm just going to peel back some layers of that verse in a minute, but can you just see where all that comes to in that little section there? Remember that bit? No longer we need to say to one another, know the Lord. They'll all know the Lord, from the youngest to the oldest. Because, because, because I will forgive their sins and and remember them no more. You will know me. I'll be in relationship with you. We'll be reconciled, says the Lord, because, it's because of this, because of God's forgiveness. And I want to just examine this and just try and show you that forgiveness, biblical forgiveness, is just three things, very quickly. It's not a feeling, it's not forgetting, nor is it excusing. Right, so that's where I'm going. Just three very quick things. Forgiveness isn't a feeling. It's not forgetting. And it's not excusing. Do you just want to put that verse up for me, Lewis, actually? We'll stay on there, but that's where we're going. That's the structure. But let's just hang on the Jeremiah verse there. Right, it's not a feeling. This verse begins, I will forgive. I will I will forgive, says the Lord. I will make it happen. That was promised through Jeremiah, and then hundreds of years later, he sent the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus came. They decided 
God, the Holy Trinity, decided we will do it. And Jesus came and died for the sins of the whole world. They made a decision. And it wasn't based on a feeling. It wasn't feelings-driven. And so when Jesus teaches us to pray, do you remember we thought about the Lord's Prayer last week? And he taught us to pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. He wasn't asking for us to wait for warm, positive feelings to come, flooding in, and then when you've got those warm, positive dispositions, then, as long as all is like feeling well with your soul, then forgive someone. It was just, the command was just issued, forgive. Whether you feel it or not. Now that is a problem, isn't it? Because we are living in a very feelings-driven age. Feelings-driven and they drive everything. So particularly, I was just doing a wedding yesterday and uh, marrying a couple who've been waiting to be married for about two years. And I originally planned this wedding up at St. Michael's, so I went back up to St. Michael's to do the wedding. And they said vows to each other. You know the wedding service, you know the vows you make each other, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, till death is do part. We vow. I vow to love you. It has nothing to do, that service, doesn't mention feelings anywhere. And yet so much of our decisions are driven by the way I feel about my spouse. I don't feel like I love you anymore, that the chemistry's gone, the feelings have gone, whatever. But you vowed that service is a service of vows. And similarly, um, when I think someone says, look, I just cannot forgive Mike, what I think they're saying is, I, I, just, I find this whole thing very hard. Like, I, I still feel upset. I still feel betrayed. I still feel violated. I still feel whatever. And because I feel those things, because it's really making me angry and twisting me up inside, because I feel like that, I simply can't forgive you. Right? That is a very feelings-led idea of forgiveness. But actually, we don't need to feel positive. We don't need to feel at peace with. We don't need to feel um, warm and tender towards someone in order to forgive them. The Bible actually calls us to forgive first. And then I think what I want to say at that point is, because you're probably like, well, do feelings not come into it at all? No, I think they do. But we're praying, aren't we, as we forgive someone, that the anger, bitterness, you know, feelings of betrayal, feelings of being let down, would eventually subside over time, with prayer, with support, eventually those feelings would ebb away. But that's one thing. 
offering forgiveness is another, and it's not feelings driven. Secondly, so the Lord did it. Um, Secondly, forgiveness is not forgetting, which is curious because it says, I'll remember their sins no more. But let me just do a little bit of Bible study with you here this morning to show you how that word remember is used. And we did this on Bible Live not so long ago, so those of you who watch Bible Live or listen to it will be familiar with this. You remember the flood waters with Noah? Noah and his flood. He's in his boat with his family. The flood waters are up. And we read that God remembered Noah and then blew a wind so that the water would subside. Now, I don't think there that the Lord went, oh, Noah's down there in a boat. (laughs) I forgot about that. I best get down and sort out some winds in order to make the waters subside. Isn't it that the Lord brought Noah to mind? He brought Noah to mind. He considered his servant Noah, and so he made the waters subside. It was similar with the rainbow. Straight after that story, the Lord says, when I see a rainbow, I will remember my covenant and will never judge the earth by waters again. It wasn't that the Lord was saying, when I see a, remem- when I see a rainbow, it's going to prompt me. I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> I have a covenant with these people. It's, I see the rainbow and I bring to mind, I call to mind the covenant. I recall the covenant I've made with my people. I will never again judge them by waters. So what does it mean when the Lord says, I will remember your sins no more? Well, it's that he will not bring it up. He will no longer recall our sins anymore. He won't keep a report. He won't keep a record. He won't bring them into conversation. He won't use them against us. He won't bring them to mind. It's not that he's like forgetting stuff, but it's better actually. It's, I will not hold any record of wrong. I will not bring it to mind. I will not use it against you. So often when we offer forgiveness, and you know, this is, this is where I think, church family, this is where I think we can be such a blessing when we, when we do forgiveness to people, one another, colleagues, uh, friends, family. This kind of forgiveness. What's, what's typical, I think, with the forgiveness that we hear about is actually, we say, oh, I forgive you. I do forgive you. Maybe I forgive you for something you've done to me. But what I do is, I take that sin, that wrongdoing that you've done to me, I'm just going to file that away over here in my little filing cabinet so that I can use it later on. I'm going to stash it away as a little... Just keep it on the back burner because I I suspect you will wrong me again in a few weeks' time or a few months' time. So I'm going to keep that there and I'm going to bring it out when I need it and use it against you. And then it's no wonder that people think that forgiveness is really cheap. And when they hear us say, I forgive you, they know what we're really saying is, yeah, all right, I'll file it away for now. Whereas forgiveness 
in biblical terms, is saying, I will never recall this again between us. I will never make, I will not bring this up again. I will not talk about it again. I will not use this against you again. It's done with. That's real, that is costly, difficult, real, biblical forgiveness. So when we say to someone, and this is, this is the kind of forgiveness that the world needs, by the way. This is the kind of forgiveness we need to offer colleagues, friends, family. We can even say it. I forgive you. And by the way, let me tell you what I mean by that. I will never use this against you again. I am not going to go away and think about this and stew over it. I'm not going to talk about it with other people. I'm not going to file this away for a future occasion. I forgive you, and I mean it. That's the kind of forgiveness we're offering. It's powerful, isn't it? I will never use this against you again. I forgive you. So it's not feelings-led, it's not a feeling, it's not forgetting, and it's not excusing either. Because I know that what you're thinking here, probably, and it may come up in the questions, so I don't want to linger on this for too long, but what you may be thinking is here, but what if someone's not really sorry? What if they don't acknowledge what they've done? Am I just blanket offer it? I'll forgive you, and I'll forgive you, and I'll forgive you. Do we just offer it? Um, you may ask, how can I forgive someone who's not sorry? How can I forgive someone who's not acknowledged their fault? How can I forgive when behaviours just repeat themselves? So someone's caught in repeatedly um, hurting me. How can I forgive that? Well, simply because forgiveness actually requires wrongdoing to be acknowledged. So if I'm going to offer someone forgiveness, it does require them to say sorry. Um, even, if, even if I say to someone, I forgive you, you expect someone to be saying, look, I am sorry, at least in some way. So when I say to you, we need to be people who forgive, it does require repentance and people saying sorry. I'm not saying that we just kind of offer out, it just kind of exudes from us forgiveness. We can talk about that more maybe in the Q&A. But we are saying that if someone does acknowledge their fault, look, I do see what I've done there and I'm sorry, at that point, we are saying, no, I forgive you. I won't call it to mind. I won't file it away. I won't speak about it to others. I won't use it against you. I won't hold it against our friendship. It is gone, and I won't remember it anymore. So, glorify God in conflict. Bring glory to God. I'm kind of, this is a serious summary. Glorify God in comfort. Use, use this opportunity, church family, when it comes up amongst us, and it will very frequently in life together with human beings, we will need to deal with conflict when it does. Just stop and go, here is my moment of, to glorify God. I'm going to use it. Look in your own life, self-examine. What am I doing to make this worse what have I done to bring this about in the first place? Look there. 
gently restore, how am I going to restore this situation? How am I going to restore this person who's done this wrong to me? They can't see it, but how am I going to help them see it and restore them? And then forgive, go and be reconciled. Jesus says, leave your gift. Don't come here and worship. Don't do your, don't do your act of worship at the storehouse or wherever it is until you've gone out in forgiveness to someone who has wronged you. Let me pray, and then I'll explain what we'll do for this Q&A, okay? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that uh, you're a forgiving God. You say that as far as the east is from the west, so far have you removed our transgressions. You've removed them, Lord. You have removed them. Lord, we read that you do not keep a record of sins, Psalm 130. With you there is forgiveness so that we can serve you. Lord, you're so loving. You demonstrate love for us in the fact that you keep no record of wrongs. And when we stand before you, Lord God, on that great and last day, you'll be able to say to us, I know nothing. I hold nothing against you. I simply know you as my own precious child, righteous and blameless in Christ. What incredible words will be spoken over every true believer. And so, Lord, may they change us now. Make us Christ-like. And make us strong to forgive. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, here's what we're going to do. Mary's going to come and sing. I think Mary and Beth may sing for us and um, provide a bit of music. There will be some post-it notes that I think are going to be circulated with some pencils. Um, Take your time. We've got maybe six or seven minutes of some music here, so take your time. Um, Write down your questions. Write your questions in the comments on the live stream. And then we'll gather those up in about three or four minutes' time. We'll bring them to the front. We'll have a few... Q&As, um, best we can, and then we'll close off. Um, but for this, for this time, you can just remain seated, soak in the music, and uh, think through any questions you might like to ask.
what love looks like Brighter than the morning light Tender as the sweetest sound Yeah, can turn the tables upside down Because of what I've done My list of sin and shame And I don't deserve your heart But still I'll be complete So much you give your life I've heard it freely And in this sacrifice I see stars in your hands and feet Don't cry me
scars in your hands and feet Don't cry anymore for me Forgiveness in your eyes This is what love, this is what love looks like This is what love, this is what love looks like This is what love, this is what love looks My mic, yeah, it's on. I'm just going to ask um, Mike and June to join us here. Thanks, Mary. want to thank you church family for all of these questions and um, we've got questions online and we've had questions during the week as well so we're going to um, try to answer some of these questions uh, that you've kindly submitted for Mike and June um, just just to start uh, from a place of when, when they've been sharing the series on peacemakers every every time I've heard you know one of them talk about it there's something I've gone home and thought oh I do that you know, I file away, <laughs> and then when it, if there's an argument, I can get those files out as quick as you like, you know, and <laughs> remind the person of all these things. I remember listening to a preacher once, and um, it was a lady, and she said that often the problem is we look at ourselves through rose-tinted glasses, but we look at other people through a magnifying glass. And it's a kind of, it's a thing that I just, you know, I, I really get a sense of that. I mean, you know, that for me, I, I know that I, I do that. So I'm going to just ask these questions um, and I'll direct them either of you. It doesn't matter who wants to sort of respond. We've got quite a few, okay? So um, don't want to keep everybody too long today, but I'll try to uh, run through them as quickly as we can. So we have a question from someone here in our congregation, and I, don't, I won't say names. If, if you want to put your hand up to it, it, it doesn't matter, or it can be anonymous, we don't mind. 
Uh, do we need to confess our sin to a brother or sister before God forgives? Or does God just forgive us anyway? Do we need to confess it beforehand before God forgives? What's kind of like the order, if you like, in that scenario? Do you want me to take this one? I would always encourage that. Um, sometimes people have a little saying, um, public sins, public confession, private sins, private confession. I think that's not bad advice. So if it's something maybe in your thought life or something that's not really going on between you and someone else, it's maybe not working its way out into public life just yet, it might be something that you just bring to the Lord and say, look, I'm just having these wayward thoughts and I want to confess this to you, Lord God, before it gets any worse. Um, But if it's starting to involve other people and other people are affected and quite quickly that will happen, then I think there is wisdom in confessing sins to one another. We're, we're commanded, aren't we, to confess sins to one another. And it's a blessing. It's such a wonderful thing. It might be that we need to confess sins to the person we're upsetting, of course. Um, but it could also just be helpful to confess sins to someone who we love and trust. And just say, look, I'm struggling with this thing. I need to confess it to someone so that I become accountable of it. Um, so I, I, it's a one, you know, and I'm not standing here as a priest and saying, look, people should come to me in a box or a booth or anything like that. Um, we're all able to do this for one another. But I would really encourage it that we, we actually are open with each other and say, look, I'm struggling with this and I want to confess it to you as I confess it to the Lord as well. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. hope that's answered your question. Um, another question from our congregation here is how do we balance forgiveness whilst also being able to set healthy boundaries? Juna might direct that one to you, if that's okay. Yeah, of course. Um, am I... I'm not, am I? What? Am I? I am it's now. Two. Great, thank you. Um, yeah, so something that I found really helpful in thinking through this is, um, you won't be surprised, those of you who, knows, who know me, Tim Keller said... Um, sometimes the way that we behave around other people who have sinned against us is actually to protect them and so if you're um, in a situation where perhaps a relationship is um, is very unhelpful or toxic um, that actually allowing that person to continue to abuse you okay it's not good for you but actually it's not good for the other person either to continue to allow them to hurt you and to abuse you. To, to give people opportunity to continue to sin against you is, is an unhelpful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I think we do come back to that thing about wisdom that you were talking about earlier on. Um, you know, to, to absolutely pray, and I think to pray for wisdom for yourself, but also to be praying for the person that you're, you know, in that difficult situation with. As we pray for people, that's my experience is that's when God changes my heart towards that person is when I'm praying for them and pray more and more, you know, kind of genuinely that God would bless them, that if they're not Christian, that God would save them, that, that you know, and the, the hope is, of course, that at some point you might be able to have a, a healthy relationship again, um, which perhaps doesn't require such stringent boundaries, but to have those boundaries in place to protect both of you. Yeah, that's really good. Thanks, June. Thank you. Um, this is also from our congregation here. Like many of us, um, it, it says, I struggle with forgiveness when someone continues to be a perpetrator of sin. 
or act and, and from the outside it doesn't look like they have repented so you look at them and you think you know well, you're still acting the same how do, how do we sort of navigate that kind of situation if yeah, no, that's really important, and I think it's got, you've got, we've got to deal with this. Um, so I am <clears throat> I'm not saying just, we're just, we're doormats, and we issue forgiveness whether people stop doing what they're doing or whether they're repentant or not. Jesus has given us, particularly in the church, but I think the mechanism works anyway. He's like, if people cannot see what they're doing to wrong you, then the first thing we need to do, well, the first thing we look at ourselves, don't we? We did that whole thing of what am I, how am I contributing to this? But after that, you go, okay, I'm going to, I need to talk to this person about it. One-to-one, ASAP, um, you know, face-to-face. We talked about that some time ago. And if that doesn't work, you don't stop there. Um, you then need to get someone else involved. That's Jesus' advice in Matthew 18. You've tried to talk to them. You've tried to point out what they're doing, but they're still doing it. It's quite often a spouse, isn't it? This is always quite often what happens is happening in a home, right? So I know these things are very, very difficult and need a lot of sensitivity. But if something like that's going on and you've spoken to the person, they're still doing it, then it's time to get someone else involved. Those are the words of Jesus. Like find someone else in the church, someone else with wisdom and a godly character to come alongside you and and bring this issue to bear on someone who's repeatedly sinning against you. Um, And then it's down with that person on board as well. You can then work out in the church together. If it's a matter in the church, we've then got to work out what we do if someone refuses to confess and repent and comes to terms with their sin. But it's never never a solution to just let things go unchecked and just to constantly issue forgiveness. That's never a solution that's offered the solution has to be, or part of the solution must be, that, um, that people are made aware, someone's made aware of repeated, habitual sins that are wrecking lives. That has to happen. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. Um, this is a question from me. What about if you're in a situation where something, say, awful has happened to you, um, and you, the person has died? Okay, so you can't go to them, you can't have that direct contact. Um, how do you kind of navigate those sorts of situations where the people have passed away, um, but you're living with the aftermath of all of whatever went on? I've got something to say, but June, jump in if you want. <laughs> in, in therapy, we would quite often um, use a technique at this point uh, called empty chair. Um, which would allow the person to, to speak to an empty chair as though it were that person to be able to process some of those feelings. And so I don't think, we're not saying that the dead person is sitting in the chair, that's not what we're saying, but just to be able to give you the opportunity to process some of those things. And so I don't see anything wrong with or writing a letter to that person to express those feelings, knowing that you're not actually communicating to the person who has died, but just allowing yourself the that time and opportunity to be able to process those sorts of feelings. Yeah, and ultimately, this, this is what I think is why the cross is so central in Christian theology, is because, let's just imagine we're all, we all turn up in the new creation one day, and I'm face to face with someone who murdered my child, or something like that, um, because they've been forgiven, because they've been reconciled to God, because they, uh, you know, They've been forgiven like I have. Um, 
the only thing that I have there in the new creation forever is that God gave himself for that to happen. Like it was, it was no small and trivial thing that God gave God's life in order for that to be made right. So I think that stands as a kind of a, uh, a forever memorial in the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth, that for us all to be there together forever, even though this person may have you know, done a horrendous thing to me, forever we will know in heaven, with God forever, that it took the death of God to achieve that. And so that's the big thing I kind of hang on to, even when something's done something really, really costly, and I can't get it back. I can't get it back. I hang on to the fact that forgiveness is still possible, and it took the death of God. Thanks. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. Um, Somebody has asked a question, and it's related to a scripture. So I'll read the question, and I'll read the scripture and just uh, have your response to it, really. So the scripture reference is Romans 12, 18, and I'll read that in a moment. And the question is, um, you, so the guys, you know, they're preaching around this subject of peacemaking. Stated in our message, it's not an option. Forgiveness isn't like an optional extra you can take or leave. I'm just adding more to that, okay? But can you explain this scripture, Romans 12, verse 18? So Romans 12, verse 18 says... Actually, I'm going to read 17 just for the context, really. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. And Romans 12:18 is, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Mm. So, yeah, what are your thoughts? So, as far as it's possible with us to live at peace with everyone, because forgiveness isn't like an optional extra... Your thoughts on that scripture? I'll, I'll say a little bit, but then June, please jump in. I okay. I think a really good just somewhere to hang this idea of if if it's possible, can I like what if someone's not ready to say sorry, but someone's not repentant or whatever? Think about Jesus on the cross and his prayer. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Um, he prays that prayer like these people are crucifying me, and they they don't realize it they don't know what they're doing and yet jesus is is making a prayer there he's like saying lord but i still want this i still want forgiveness here father forgive them he still he sort of wants forgiveness to happen so in that sense we can still be like poised and ready for forgiveness saying lord this person is is wronging me or whatever i want forgiveness here even though it's not happening in as much as it's possible i want forgiveness but the, the great thing about that story is at Pentecost, 50 days later, when Peter preaches to the crowd, he says, you've crucified the author of life. And at that point, a lot of them do then go, thousands of them go, oh yeah, we did. They're cut to the heart and they repent and they're baptized. And so forgiveness then takes place. Like the Lord forgives, they are forgiven, and they repent and they're baptized. But between those 50 days, whatever, the Lord's like maintaining, oh, I, I, forgiveness is possible, it is possible, and I'm holding it out. And I, I think in some ways our, our role, in, in as much as it is possible, as Paul says to the Romans, we're sort, of offer, we're sort of ready in offering. We're ready and willing as Christians to offer forgiveness. And the moment the sorry comes, 
and people offer a heartfelt sorry, look, I'm sorry, I realise what I've done now, I'm cut to the heart and I'm sorry, then forgiveness can happen in as much as it's possible. I think that's... June? Yeah, that's, I think that's really helpful. I, I think we have to recognise that um, pretty much any disagreement that we have, is a, there's two sides to it. Now, one may be a much more powerful side than the other, but we just have to be careful of what, what our part in anything is. And so if we've been wronged and that person has yet to kind of come to a point of saying sorry, we still need to watch ourselves before God, don't we? So we don't want to be thinking unhelpful, unkind, hateful thoughts about them. Neither do we want to be feeding into that in our behavior. And so it, I think it's probably about the way that we conduct ourselves both internally and externally towards and around and about that person in order to hopefully encourage and speed that point of reconciliation on. Thanks, June. Thank you. Um, this question is from uh, some, a member here in, in our congregation. We've talked about some of this, but there's an element of it we haven't touched on as yet. So how should we respond in forgiveness if the offence is repeated, it's tormenting, it's lying, devious and similar types of behaviour and may also manifest itself as if it's demonic, as if it's an evil spirit that's mm. at work? Well, um, well I'd, I'd repeat just what I said earlier about things that are repeated and ongoing. Uh, we do need to talk, we do need to figure out how we're going to deal with that. And incidentally, just... Uh, this question sometimes comes up, and so I'll just touch on it here. Sometimes Christians think, um, but that's gossip. If I go away and talk to someone about this situation that's happening to me, someone's hurting me or upsetting me, that, that sounds like gossip. I'm going to gossip about them. Um, and I best not do that because that's, that's not a good thing either. Um, what I want to ask people there is just what's your intention? If your intention is just to break someone down and form an alliance with other people, you're, got, you're, you're telling someone because you want to form an alliance against that person, then it is gossip. It's slanderous. It's trying to get someone on your side to work against that person. But check your heart and go, if actually I do want this relationship to be restored, I want this to work out. I want this thing to, to be better. And in order to make this thing work, in order for this person to realize what they're doing, I really need to speak to June, or I really need to speak to Linda, or potentially there's something demonic here. There is something very unusual about this situation. I really need to speak to someone and get help. But just look at, just search your intentions there. Is it that I'm talking to this person because I want to I wanna get them on side, get a few other people on side, so that we start to just drive the nails against this person. Then I think you're engaging in gossip. It's not helpful. But if, if it is, uh, this situation's awful, and this person's not understanding what they're doing, and I need to bring someone else into this, then, and your intention is restoration, like I want this to be restored, I want to be reconciled, I want this thing to be worked out, then I don't think you're engaging in gossip at that point. I think you're actually doing something helpful. Just jump in yeah. very quickly and say, um, in some of those situations where perhaps there's manipulation, coercion, all of those sorts of things, that you might find what we refer to as gaslighting, mm. um, where uh, the perpetrator is, is trying to get somebody to feel as though they're wrong in their understanding. And I think at that point, again, speaking to somebody is really helpful in terms of just getting a sense check. This is what I'm feeling, but I'm being told by the other person that there's nothing wrong and that this is completely normal. So again, be wise in who you speak to, um, but I, I think there is some wisdom in, in being able to just sense check with somebody else whether that's a normal thing 
you know, whether you're, what your feelings are about and, and be able to work through things from there. Thanks, Stu. Thank you. Now, we've got a question on the live stream and one that was sent in uh, during the week which have a lot of overlap and similarity. So I, I'm going to read this question out. So thank you for your question um, on the live stream. And the question is this. During this series of peacemaking, the focus has been on peacemaking between individuals. Is there a danger that, only, that by only seeing peacemaking as an issue of the heart, so repentance, forgiveness, restoring gently, that we fall into the trap of not working for peace on an organisational or societal level? Um, as we, I'm sure all of us know, there were three black footballers abused on social media recently. Um, in the Church of England, there's been a curate refused a job on the grounds of race. A woman has been shamed for her sexual history. A council officer stops a Christian preaching in the high street. Is peacemaking just about repentance, forgiveness and restoration on a personal level? Doesn't it involve societal and organisational change and action to break down barriers as well as barriers of the heart? So I suppose in essence the question is taking us from that one-on-one -on -one individual aspect to that you know, organisational structure and all the different things that are, you know, we, could, we could think about. The FA, the Church of England, government, we could put so much in, in that question. What are your thoughts on that? Could we apply the same teaching at that kind of macro level, as it were? What do you think? And I just let my the go-to for me here is Jesus and the temple. So um, well, there's a couple of things about it. Firstly, it kind of happens at Jesus' highest point of influence. So remember, he goes into the city of Jerusalem, and everyone's saying like Hosanna and the Son of David, and they're all putting down their palm branches. And at that point of maximum influence, where people are kind of looking to this messianic figure, he then goes in to the temple and rids it of its money changers. So he uses that, that moment where he has maximum sway to deal with something structurally unjust, like the fact that they were changing money in the temple courts. And then what happens is, well, in Matthew 21 anyway, in Matthew 21, what happens immediately is the blind can come in, the children can come in, all of these people who were previously excluded from the temple courts are able to come in. And so it is a, Jesus makes peace in that place for very vulnerable people who can then come in. And he does it with all the influence of his entry into Jerusalem. And so I'd say, look, wherever we have influence, it might be that someone amongst us is an MP, someone amongst us is an employer, someone amongst us is, you know, the chairman of a football club or whatever. Wherever we've had, God give, God's given us influence, and we have an opportunity, wherever that is, however that is, and we can use that for peacemaking where we are. The only thing is, the only thing I want to say, the only sort of slight caveat is, what's very popular is kind of um, uh, saying a lot of stuff, virtue signaling. So saying a lot of things about, you know, justice and all of that, without ourselves being genuine, from the ground up, peacemakers. And so... We emphasize, I think, that stuff about personal peacemaking. I personally want to be a peacemaker with my family, with my work colleagues, with my church family. It starts there, right? I start with my kids and my wife and my church family and my workplace. 
I do piece there, of course, so that it's not virtue signaling when I, when I speak out at a council meeting or when I speak out at the board of trustees or when I speak out at my football club or when I do something to challenge um, unjust and, and oppressive structures in wider contexts. But absolutely, I mean, Jesus 100% models that for us at the temple. Absolutely. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. I'm conscious of the time, so um, I'm going to ask one more question of Mike. Thank you for all of you that have sent questions to us. Um, if I hadn't responded or if we haven't responded to your question, I'd encourage you to get an email across to Mike, just uh, send Mike at stjohns.southend.org um, for any other questions or questions I haven't asked uh, today. This last question, the purpose and of, of the body and blood celebrated at communion helps us to be reminded of the suffering of Jesus. So how does this sharing of his body and blood help us with our ability to forgive one another? What do you say to that? Oh, wow. Do you want to? So this sort of um, goes back to something that you were saying earlier, Mike. That, um, so if I, if I lend a necklace to a friend, and she, it's, an, it's a really precious necklace to me, and she breaks it, so she's done something to, you know, there's a cost there. Now, someone has to pay that cost. The, you know, the necklace was valuable to me. So either she has to go and buy me another necklace to pay me back for my loss, or I take the hit. I, I go necklace less, if you see what I mean. So I, I bear the cost. Someone has to bear the cost. And I think communion reminds us that in forgiveness, of course, every time we forgive someone, there is a cost. When we, when we um, celebrate communion, we're reminded that Jesus paid the cost. And so I just think that's really helpful to constantly come back to this idea. I can't be entitled to be enraged at someone because Jesus has already paid the price for me so that I can enjoy the great blessing of forgiveness. Thanks, June. That's so helpful. Thank you very much. Um, Hi, the children are back with us. Hi, we're still going, children. Um, just, right, just as we um, sort of end this Q&A session, I just want to uh, remind us that I said earlier, as, as June reminded me, uh, you know, we, we have wisdom. We're children of God. We have wisdom. And we also have peace. That's what we carry. Uh, Jesus said in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. We have the peace of Jesus Christ in our hearts. And I think that, you know, we have that and we carry that because we're able to use that in any situation that, that we face. So peace to you. And I'm just going to invite the band to come up and close us out in our, in our last part of worship, if that's okay. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, June. Um, you weren't prepared with the questions. You didn't see them in advance. Well done. Thank you.